0: No Coach K this time, but hope you enjoyed that intro on Sunday's episode. Received a lot of feedback, and it was appreciated. I had a lot of fun making it. You obviously had a a lot of fun listening to it. To those of you who have requested the individual file, um, there is a YouTube link provided by one Kyle Boone out there on the Tweet Machine. But real quick, by the way, if you are not already – You know, Parrish and I, in addition to the podcast three times a week, of course, we are on CBS Sports HQ Talking College Hoops daily at this point in the season. We're heading towards March, and you can watch on your phone, computer, tablet. If you have cut the cable cord and you watch on your smart TV via Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, any kind of device, uh, CBS Sports app, CBS Sports HQ, we're on in the mornings, afternoons nights after games. I'm in studios on the weekend and um, our presence will continue to be even more. So if you enjoy the pod, uh, just a heads up here, sport coverage across the board on CBS Sports HQ, but we're on there uh, chatting hoops frequently, all teams, all kinds of conferences, bracket stuff, seed stuff, you name it, we're there. Um, So be sure to check it out and enjoy today's episode.
1: Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and I want to start with the hottest power conference team in the country. And I'm not even sure if that's technically true, but I also don't care because Penn State is red hot and rolling. Beat Purdue Tuesday night, 88-76 inside Mackey Arena. So Penn State is on a seven-game winning streak. That's the longest Big Ten winning streak in school history. Nittany Lions are now 19-5 and five overall, 9-4 in the Big Ten, alone in second in the league standings. I had a Kentucky fan tweet me a few days ago. They tweet me all the time, but this one was just a few days ago. And he said, come on, Parrish, do you really think Penn State is better than Kentucky? Because I've had Penn State ranked ahead of Kentucky in the top 25 and one for a while. And my answer, if, uh, if my ranking didn't suggest that, uh, in and of it my answer is yes. I think Kentucky is good. But I think Penn State is better, and the computers do as well. Norlander, what does Pat Chambers have to do to get a lead item in the court report? You're not respecting this man enough.
0: Oh, is that is that right? Have you uh, have you written anything about Pat Chambers other than maybe a little top twenty-five and one yet?
1: Well, I don't write anything other than the top twenty-five
0: yeah, and one <laughs> exactly. If you want to help out and chip in on the court report and write a Pat Chambers item, I'd be more than happy to let you do that and co-byline that. You want to tag team that up for next week, GP?
1: We we are lucky that I am still able to do this podcast three times a week with how little I sleep and how overwhelmed I am. I want to kill myself right now. This
0: is an amazing start to the podcast. Shouts to the court report. We'll get to some of that in just a minute here. Penn State is absolutely on fire. Did get a dedicated segment, and I made sure – it got a dedicated segment on Tuesday night's uh, CBS Sports HQ overnight there because the Nittany Lions, which were the only team that I really had a gripe with not being in the top 16 in Saturday's reveal, now obviously uh, firmly in that mix. 18th in the net, 19-5 and five overall, got to seven quad wins with the victory last night, uh, five and two in quad two, and then a relatively low number of quad three and quad four games, just seven total in general. Just a, a refresher here on Penn State for those, because listen, you and I both know that because Penn State almost never makes the tournament, um, it's just not the kind of program that people, unless you're a Penn State fan or are looking at the Big Ten, you're not in touch with them. But this is turning into a pretty, pretty cool story. Um, here are their rankings right now in KPI, and these are the metrics that the committee will look at. So right now, 15th in KPI, 8th in strength of record, which is a completely resume-based metric. It does not predict how good you are. It's just who you played and how you've done against that schedule. Number eight for Penn State. 18 in the net, as I said. And then the predictives, BPI's got it at 14. Kenpom, 11. And then Sagarin up to nine. Credit to Pat Chambers and Penn State for getting to this point and doing it, despite, you know, Lamar Stevens has been good. But he has not been ridiculous. He's only shooting 28% from three-point range. He's not a natural three-point shooter. But um, there have been, got you know, Myron Jones been very, very solid. Um, I, I, I've always loved the fact that Penn State has a dude named Miles Dread on it, which sounds like some sort of video game. But I think he, uh, he's been a really, really solid player at all. And yes, for the past four weeks, Penn State as hot as almost any a uh, power conference team in America, and really a top-five team uh, overall. If you, They've been streaking with wins, four on the road and seven in the Big Ten. They're now nine and four in the league.
1: When we talked about them um, on Sunday's podcast, or more specifically, we talked about the bracket reveal, I told you that um, of the 16 teams the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee uh, highlighted, 15 of them were in my top 25 and one on Saturday morning. The only one that wasn't was they had Michigan State and I had Penn State. And I thought that should have not been that way then, and even more so now. Although Michigan State did get a nice win at Illinois on Tuesday night and bounced back into the top twenty-five and won on Wednesday morning. Keep in mind, um, you know, I know that what happened Tuesday night at Purdue was on a surface level just a a win over an unranked Purdue team because most people, us, you know, a, when they think of rankings, they think of the AP poll. But Purdue is like really good in the computers, top 20 at, at KinPOM. and this is a Purdue team by the way that smashed Michigan State by a million um, you know, last you know last month, right. um, They had beaten Wisconsin in that building by 19, had beaten Iowa in that building by 36. Uh, 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 yeah 36, I guess. And so to go into Purdue inside Mackey Arena and get a double-digit win is pretty remarkable. And it's the first time Penn State has won at Purdue since 2006, which means by extension, first time Pat Chambers has ever um, won at Purdue. And Purdue has now won four straight road games at Purdue, at Michigan State, at at Nebraska. That's Pinnacle Bank.
0: There we go. Shouts to Mo. Nebraska's so flat that I don't care. Continue.
1: And then at Michigan. So when I, if I tell you you're going to be able to go beat Michigan on the road, Michigan State on the road, Purdue on the road, and win, and then just throw in another one at Pinnacle Bank, forget about it. That's four straight Big Ten road wins for Penn State. Go ahead, Norlander. Trivia timing. Let me give you the question. When's the last time Penn State won four straight? Big Ten road games.
0: I'll say two thousand five.
1: No, you were supposed to trivia time me. You're going to ask me that question.
0: Oh uh, well, you just pre- okay. Well, you just present You just <laughs> no, presented I mean- the question. Why? Hold on, hold on. Why am I asking you the question that you already know the answer to? Why aren't you just ask just trivia time me and then I'll- and then that's my guess. 05. is 05 correct? I w- I w- no, it's not correct. All right, I so wanted- Paris, here's a trivia trivia time. Okay, trivia time. Okay, let's go. When was the first edition of Trivial Pursuit put into – No, okay, Penn State. Uh When was the last time the Nittany Lions won four consecutive
1: games in Big Ten play on the road? Norlander, it's never happened before this time. That's a record. Four straight Big Ten road wins for the Penn State Nittany Lions.
0: Wow. Yeah, this is a hell of a season. How about this? According to Torvik, right now – here are the seed projections. All right, obviously Baylor, Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Kansas on projection for one seed. and then it's Duke, Seton Hall, Maryland, Michigan State. Somehow, I don't know about that as twos. Then Louisville, the best three, and Penn State, the second best three. Right now, that's the projected way things are expected to go. And barring some just bad losses, and I, the, here's why you got to be excited if you're a Penn State fan. And I'm actually using the phrase. Here's why you got to be excited if you're a Penn State fan on a college basketball podcast. Because last night's game against Purdue, knowing the opponent, knowing Purdue's tendencies at home, that building, school history, all of that. If you're a Penn State fan that's being honest with yourself, you probably are like, I hope we can keep it competitive, but I kind of think we're going to lose by 7-10 to 10 points. That's not what happened. You won dominantly. You continued to win in such a strong fashion. So you should have... Adjusted expectations here. Yeah, a couple more losses are going to come. That's inevitable. But I don't see. I think Penn State at worst is going to be a five seed. And if it's a five seed, that's going to match its best seed in school history. Trivia
1: time! Hey, kid, let's go!
0: Do you know the year that Penn State got a five seed in the NCAA tournament? That's the best seed ever.
1: That was nineteen eighty nine. Was it though? I don't have any idea. Yeah, <laughs> I <do>. I- <laughs>
0: I got you good. 1996 was the highest seed ever for Penn State, and it lost in that NCAA tournament as a five seed to the 12 uh, that year. So you can match. You can match that. You can best it. um, And that's an exciting thing. Uh, It doesn't feel like every single season we have a power conference school that we can say in the context of that season, that school is having its best season ever. But that could happen here. Arkansas, by the way, was the, was the 12th seed that beat Penn State in the 96th first round when the Nitty Lions were a five seed. But that's going to be the worst-case scenario. I mean, it, it would have to take, given how many quad-one teams Penn State's going to play, you, they'd have to lose more games than win the rest of the regular season uh, in order for that to come into play, and that's just simply not going to happen.
1: First off, they're going to be a top-four seed. That is my prediction on February 12, 2020. And if you go to Ken Palm right now and you look at the Big Ten projections, Penn State is projected to be... A Big Ten champion sharing the regular season title with the Maryland Terrapins. Shouts to Miles Dredd. Shouts to Miles Dredd. Shouts to Lamar Stevens. Shout to Pat Chambers because, um, listen, Penn State was picked 10th in the preseason Big Ten poll. And this is Pat's ninth season at Penn State. He's never made the... NCAA tournament he won the NIT back in 2018 so they were by definition like on the bubble there went 999 nine in the league but he's never made the NCAA tournament so when I had to write about you know coaches on the hot seat in the preseason back in October you know a, a power conference coach who has gone eight straight years without making the tournament and is now entering his ninth season going to be picked 10th in his league like that like, you know that, that that guy regardless of Um, The details is going to end up on one of these lists. So I was right about Penn State and Pat Chambers. And and here's what I wrote. I wrote, quote, I'm skeptical. Anybody could do much better than Pat Chambers has done at Penn State, which is one of the toughest jobs in power conference basketball. But how many power conference coaches could miss the NCAA tournament in nine straight years and return for a 10th? That's what Chambers will be up against. If he doesn't march the Nittany Lions into the big dance this season. In a perfect world, he'll get there and make his administration's decision to bring him back an easy one. Because my guess is that Penn State's next coach probably won't be as successful as its current coach. And you know, when I wrote it, obviously it seemed sensible. Otherwise, I would have changed it. Even looking back on it a few months later, it seems like a sensible assessment. Like my my bottom line was basically, it's a hard job, and Pat's made it respectable. And I don't know. If they could find a coach who could keep it this respectable. But at some point, your administration and your fan base, which puts pressure on your administration, they want you to break through and make the tournament. And so if he doesn't make it in year nine, is he going to really get a year 10? And update on February 12, 2020. All of that is in the rearview mirror now. He's going to make it. He's going to get a contract extension. And this does not mean, because I know somebody will use this example As an as a as evidence that well, if you just give coaches time, no, this is not proof that what happens when you just give coaches time. If you give a bad coach ten years, uh, you'll just be bad for ten years. You know, all coaches don't quote deserve time. Coaches don't deserve anything except the money guaranteed on the contract. But when you've got a good coach, and that was my larger point. Like I think Pet's done a good job. I know he hasn't broken through, but I think he's done a good job. When you've got a good coach then maybe you can benefit from giving him time. Don't give a bad coach time. You'll just be bad. But if you give a guy you believe in, and I I believed in Pat. I I believed in Pat as Penn State's coach. If you give that guy time, then maybe, just maybe, um, you'll be paid off. And Penn State, its fan base and that administration is getting paid off right now. Penn State, you ready for this? Is one of the best college basketball teams in the country.
0: You're on fire right now. You're loving this. You're loving the Nittany Lions. To the final
1: four? I – I, I will, my final four right now is San Diego State, Dayton, Penn State, and Rutgers. <laughs> and Rutgers. That's really? what I want it to be. <laughs> I want it to be something like that. I love this season. I, I know that we're losing casual sports fans. I got it. Like, like cause, uh, Whatever. That's, but whatever, I, yeah. I love this season, and it's not – it's not just a season in which we've got some unusual teams operating at the top of the sport, like Baylor, San Diego state, Dayton, uh, Penn state. It's the season in which we've got unusual teams operating at the top of the sport. And it's not crazy to think they could go to a final four, win a national championship, because like we've talked about before, you're not going to run into Duke with five first round draft picks. You're not going to run into Kentucky with two of the top three picks in the draft. Like, those type of p- big brand basketball teams with Zion and RJ and and, and Trey Jones, and Cam- that, that team doesn't exist this season. There are very good teams, very good Blue Bloods that are very good teams. Kansas, Kentucky, I think both fall under that umbrella. But I don't, in a different year, you might think a team like Penn State would eventually get overwhelmed. A team like San Diego State would eventually get overwhelmed from a talent perspective. I don't think any of these teams that are unusual candidates for Final Force national championship. I don't think they're going to get overwhelmed by somebody else, which by definition, at least I think, makes them legitimate options for anything this season, which is a pretty fun thing to watch.
0: Yes, and we are getting uh, what I think was inevitable, but we are getting a nice fun race in the Big Ten here, even if Maryland only is the only team. Maryland is the only team out of the Big Ten that has a chance at a one seed, and it, it's, it's going to be hard-pressed to do that. It's going to have to continue to win and then have teams above it obviously have to lose, uh, but still, right now, Maryland is, after getting a scare, against Nebraska, and it wasn't at Nebraska, of course, it was uh, at Maryland. Um, a scare and a, and a two-point win for the Terps on Tuesday night. Jalen Smith with another tremendous game. He is uh, creeping up into potential first-team All-American status. That's another under-discussed plot line I think that has involved in the past three weeks here in college basketball. But point is, Maryland at 10-3, Michigan State uh, at 9-5, and between those two teams is Penn State, which wasn't projected to be there. And then also in the five-loss column, you've got Iowa, Illinois, and Rutgers, we're not going to hit on Illinois on this pod for those that are probably wondering because that wound up being a big thing. We don't know what the status with Io DeSumo is. So when we know more, I assume on Friday we'll get to that. But um, that was a great win for Michigan State, a really compelling, intense game. And the way it ended was heartbreaking for Illinois fans, probably gruesome for Illinois fans just to see Io uh, carried off the court. But between all of those teams, Rutgers included, you've got a really nice six-team race developing. And if things break the right way, what will help the Big Ten is you'll have those teams. Maybe Maryland can get to the two-line, Penn State on the three or the four, Michigan State on the three or the four, Iowa on the four or the five, Illinois on the four or the five. Uh, Who knows? Rutgers on the five or six. And chances of of dipping into the second weekend, the Sweet 16. If You told me uh over under four and a half big 10 teams in the sweet 16 i'd go under but i'd go under definitely at four i think that 25 percent of that second weekend is going to be occupied by by the big 10 conference because of how many teams are going to be in and how many teams are going to have uh fairly solid seats
1: we played uh overreaction or reality uh late tuesday night on inside college basketball that's where our brilliant producer amy salmonson comes up with a statement and we have to say amy that's an overreaction or we have to say amy that's a that's a reality. I think that's a real thing that's going to happen. One of the statements was this. The Big Ten will have 12 teams in the NCAA tournament. Norlander. Overreaction.
0: That- overreaction.
1: I, I said overreaction. Come on. 12, said- 12
0: are not getting there. Minnesota's not getting to the tournament. That's not going to happen. Minnesota, oh. 12 and 11 right now. Uh, I'd say 11 too many. I think the Big Ten will send 10. I just think the way that it's going to break... Um, that's that's what we'll end up with. We'll end up with ten and the 11, we'll end up with ten the eleventh team that doesn't get in. Uh, you know, there's probably going to be some great case for it, but then we're going to sit on this podcast and say, "Listen, we know the Big Ten's great, but you can't if you're with this record, yada yada yada." So, uh, eleven would tie the all-time mark, but I mark me down for ten out of the B1G.
1: I said it would be ten or eleven, so you and I are on the same page there. Let's move on. Another interesting result from Tuesday night: Wake Forest seventy-four. North Carolina, 57. It seems to suggest that Cole Anthony is not going to save North Carolina's season. And it's a reminder about just how much of a non-factor the class of 2019 is making on this 2019-2020 college basketball season. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. So it was a little bit off the radar because it was just unranked team against unranked team, but it's still notable because North Carolina played another game, first game since losing that heartbreak at the Duke over the weekend, and they got smashed by Wake Forest, 74-57, so the Tar Heels are now 0-4 since Cole Anthony's return. He was 5-19 from the field against Wake, missed all six uh, of the three-pointers that he attempted, and now North Carolina is 10-14 and 14 overall, 3-10 and 10 in the ACC. And we don't need to spend any time on what it means for North Carolina. It doesn't mean anything for North Carolina other than it's, it's just uh, more proof that they're not good and they're not going to be good and they're not going to make a run even with Cole Anthony back. The more interesting thing, I, I think, is that I went through the – Class of 2019, final rankings for um, um, you know, 24-7 sports in terms of, of just player rankings. I, 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 haven't, I didn't have time to look it up. I can't imagine we've ever seen anything like this where the best high school seniors from, from last year are having this little of an impact on the sport in general this season. Let me run you through it real quick. Okay. Make you throw up. The number (laughs) one player in the class was Anthony Edwards. I'm not going to vomit. You're going to vomit. You are going to vomit, dead leg. (laughs) You're going to vomit when you hear this. Number one player in the class, Anthony Edwards. He's at Georgia, probably going to the NIT. Number two player in the class, James Wiseman. He quit the Memphis team the week before Christmas. Number three player in the country, Cole Anthony. His team is tied for last in the ACC. Four player in the country, Isaiah Stewart. His team is dead last in the pac 12 the number five player in the in the class, RJ Hampton, he played professionally in New Zealand. The sixth best player in the class, Vernon Carey, he's on a possible number one seed. shouts to Vernon Carey. Number seven ranked player in the class, Scotty Lewis, probably on an NIT team. Number eight, Nico, Nico Mannion, safely in the NCAA tournament, I think. Number nine, Precious Achua, because his teammate quit on him and his, all his coaches and all the Memphis players. The week before Christmas, he's probably going to be on an NIT team.
0: Probably T- on an NIT team,
1: Memphis. I would All say right. probably on an NIT team. Bury the
0: lead there. All right. All right. I you, would say maybe. I would not say probably.
1: You don't. So you're saying? I'm saying you, maybe.
0: I'm saying yeah. I'm saying maybe Memphis goes to the NIT. I'm not saying Memphis is probably going to the NIT. I'm not. I'm not going that far.
1: You You think they might not even make the NIT? No, no, no.
0: I'm saying they. I would say if you're saying. Will will Memphis make the NCAA tournament? Maybe or probably not? I will decide on maybe more than probably not. I was surprised that you didn't put Memphis in the maybe column there.
1: I would say probably not. I mean, they were on the bubble with DJ Jeffries. Now DJ Jeffries is probably out for the season. Um, I don't know how you're going to improve yourself without DJ Jeffries. If you were a bubble team with him, you're probably not going to be as good without him. And the point I tried to make... Um, to the Memphis fans that are flipping out over the way this season has unfolded is go give me an example of a team that lost two of its top three players mid-season before February 1st and stayed good. Like, they don't exist. You know, I, I, I'm not going to go through it here. You can yeah, go yeah. pull the radio podcast if you want. But, um, like, Kansas last season lost two of its best three players, not before February 1st, but eventually did it with Doak and LeGerald Vic. And they went st- – th- with, with you Do- when healthy, Kansas was literally undefeated and ranked number one in the country. Then they lost, eventually lost two of their top three players. They went 6-4 and four in their final 10 games, lost by double digits in the second round of the NCAA tournament. You cannot hold it together when you lose two of your top three players. Hey, by the way, another example of this, Arkansas, roll in. Then Isaiah Joe suffers an uh, injury. Hey, Joe. Best NBA prospect, out. Now guess what they've done since he's been out. They've been losing, man. Lost three straight games. 0-3 without Isaiah Joe. You can't recover from this stuff, so uh, that's why I would put Memphis on the probably not making the NCAA tournament. They're not in now. They're going to have to play the rest of the season without two of their top three players that they started with. That's just not a recipe for success. Tenth-best player in the class, Tyrese Maxey, on a good team at Kentucky. That's fine. Eleventh-best player in the class, Khalil Whitney, quit his team, midseason at Kentucky. Twelfth-best player in the class, Trey Mann, probably going to the NIT at Florida, 13th best player in the country in that class of 2019, Jaden McDaniels, dead last at Washington in the Pac-12. Yuck.
0: That is yuck. I'm getting a little bit of an up feeling right now.
1: Throw All- up, I told you.
0: <laughs> also, um, so a couple notes on this. Uh, coincidentally enough... We did the court uh, did the court report, um, and also did Frost Watch this week, and made mention of this. You know, the top ten freshmen in America, and a lot of the guys you mentioned there have overlap with uh, with the top players, obviously in the, in the previous class. That's that's sometimes how this goes. But uh, what we're also seeing is that these freshmen don't have they don't have the uh, ability to lift their teams up the way that that might have been expected. You know, Zeke Naji is, is, is number two. Carey's uh, number one. I'll get to them in a, in a second. You mentioned Stewart. Onyeka Okonwu, USC might get there. Uh, but his team's been slumping as of late. Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana's been bumpy as of late. We have him at six. Kofi Coburn, Illinois's been good. He's been slumping a little bit. Landers Nolley is the ninth best freshman in in the college basketball. Virginia Tech's nowhere near the NCAA tournament, so this has been an issue that's been ongoing. It's a down class, and the guys that are even at the top of it that are performing like top five, top ten freshmen, you know, more than half of them are on teams either not making the NCAA tournament or they've lost two, three games in a row, four out of their past five. Now, Carey... Is the exception to that in Wednesday's court report? I've got a couple of items. One, I've got um, I've got a good little uh, split video with the BYU flying mascot dunk thing. It's a, it's a cool little side story. Check that out. I also got something on Northern Iowa, 21-3, and 3, and the most under-discussed, really, really good mid-major this season, their top 35 in Ken Palm. Spoke with Ben Jacobson. He talked with Toronto Raptors coach Nick Nurse, and that has actually helped their season. You can read both of that stuff, but it leads with Vernon Carey Jr., who, to me, is interesting in this respect, GP. Duke has definitively the best freshman in America. It's not close. It's Kerry one. I would say it's Najee two. Maybe Isaiah Stewart two, but it's a close race there. But Carey to me, is very far out ahead of the pack. And yet, he is not the talk of that team, the talk of that conference, one of the most discussed players in college basketball. He's just not. He's His numbers actually compare extremely well to everyone that was a Duke big dating back to Jaleel Okafor, with the exception of Zion Williamson, who, of course, outshines everyone. Now, Trey Jones and Mike Krzyzewski have said this week that, in part, it's because that he's playing a year after Zion, and maybe that's the case. But I found it actually a bit interesting that Carey, who is on a per 40-minute basis as good or better than everyone except Zion and maybe Bagley isn't receiving more accolades. He's, now, he's fourth in the Ken Palm Player of the Year algorithm I'm not convinced, though, if we ended the season today, he'd be a first-team All-American. I would put him there. I wouldn't have him as the player of the year right now because I think Trey Jones' recent performances have certainly made an impact on that. But from the start of the season to now, to me, Carey has been the best player on Duke's roster, and he is the one guy, as you run down all those players, to me that's the combination of uh, was really good as a prospect, Um, not the best in his class, but obviously highly thought of, and has continued to be uh, extremely important and productive on a relevant team. I'm just surprised he has not received more buzz to this point. Maybe that changes as we get into March, but to now, I actually think he's underhyped, underdiscussed.
1: I think the reason is because he's not thought about as a top 10 draft pick, as a lottery pick. That's I, also I,
0: discussed I, in the court report. Yeah, I get into that too. Yeah, continue.
1: I, I, you know, like Obi Toppin is getting a lot of attention, right? And so you go, okay, why? Well, A, he's on a great team. B, He's a projected lottery pick. And C, it's just one dunk after another, after another, after another. He's great for highlights. Like I did Dayton highlights last night on Inside College Basketball. You know what our Dayton highlights were? An Obi top and dunk, an Obi top and corner three, and an Obi top and dunk. And Dayton wins again. Well, bo- up? Bo- to
0: Chalen Crutcher, man. What's the guy got to
1: do? He's got to dunk or hit a corner three <laughs> or change his name to Obi. <laughs> OB Crutcher. He <laughs> needs to be Obi Crutcher. So uh, imagine, by the way, Jacob Topper – uh, yeah. Jake Toppin, like, how mad would you be if your brother got named Obi and then you got named Jacob? <laughs> I'd be like, Mom, you named well, it's you
0: Obadiah. Named- so I think, yeah, they're both they're both biblical names. So I, that's that's. I, I, I would rather be Obadiah, wouldn't you? Yes, I'd rather be Obadiah. Yes,
1: 100% rather yeah. be Obadiah. You put two names on a table. Tell me, I can only have one. <laughs> I'm picking Obadiah every time. Uh, yeah, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he got dunked on, by the way. Obi dunked on his younger bro. That also happened. He blocked his shot. Yeah. Just, just, That's awesome, by the way. I love it's, that. He seems like such every... a nice kid. Like, Obi's not going to – maybe – I hope he's really giving it to him, like, over text, over the phone, when, you know, when they see each other next. But um, I think that stuff is awesome, man. You know, good okay. brotherly rivalry.
1: Oh, Obi and Jacob's mom was in the crowd on Tuesday night because this was Dayton against uh, Rhode Island. And for people who don't know, Obi's younger brother – Plays at Rhode Island, and he's not Obi Toppin, but he is like a six-seven freshman averaging twenty minutes per game for a likely NCAA tournament game. Like that's not nothing. So, but uh, we were in studio, and and uh, their mother was in the crowd, and she had one of those like half Dayton, half Rhode Island shirts, you know, like split down the middle. And somebody was like, "Who do you think she's rooting for?" I was like, "If I was her, I'd be rooting for the lottery pick." Yeah, I'm thinking big picture. I'd be rooting for the lottery pick. So Obi gets circle this back to Vernon Carey. I think some of it really is he's not considered this amazing NBA prospect. And whether it's right or wrong, and I think you could reasonably argue it's wrong, in college basketball, we tend to uh, focus most on the great players who are also great prospects. Uh, Vernon Carey is probably a great player who's a good prospect, and that, that hurts him a, a little bit. But if you're looking for... Uh, freshmen who have actually had a, an impact on a, on, a, on a winning team, he's probably number one on that list.
0: I, I agree. All right, you got, some, uh, you got some cues for us? You got a good listener mailbag? We want to dig up some questions on our usual Wednesday episode?
1: I don't know if it's good, but I got it. I'll, I'll take whatever we got here. Okay, good, because you have no choice. Question number one. <laughs> And we get these questions mostly from Apple Podcast Reviews. So you go over there, leave a five-star review, type whatever you want to type. But if you also want to ask a question, you can ask a question. I'll go through them. And if it interests me on some level, um, I'll pull it over here to the file that uh, where I keep all my notes. And then you know, I, if I uh, get bored with those, I'll, I'll look on Twitter. But either way, I got three questions. We do them every um, midweek podcast. Question number one comes from somebody who identifies as Bracketologist 3, and they ask a very simple question. Why are you not talking about Marcus Howard? Give this man some love. Shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Larnell, shouts to Cal Boone.
0: That's incorrect. We have talked about Marcus Howard on the podcast multiple times, uh, including last Friday, I want to say. Now, I know that you spoke on Inside College Basketball on Tuesday night about Marcus Howard and your stances right now here on February 12th. In advance of uh, Marquette's game against Villanova, you would have Marcus Howard as the National Player of the Year right now. Trivia time. Okay, let's go. Okay. Marcus Howard. Uh, you might know this. You might know this. You might have uh, heard, you uh, might have heard I, this.
1: I've done a lot of Marcus Howard research over the past 24 I, so hours. So I
0: think you might, you might know this one.
1: Marcus Howard is currently third
0: among all Big East players in intra-league scoring. Most points in Big East competition. He needs 22 points in vil- against Villanova on Wednesday night to become number one all-time in Big East scoring. What two players does he trail?
1: Um, he very clearly trails all-time points in the Big East. Yep. Do you very... want? A hint? I
0: can give you a hint. Okay. Both players played at schools that are no longer members of the conference.
1: Well, that's that's a damn shame.
0: <laughs> it is. I hmm. think you can get one.
1: The, you think the, I can get one. Number
0: two is gettable if I lead you down the right path. Number one, uh, he was a very good player. I just don't know if he would be someone that would immediately spring to mind as the all-time leader in Biggie's points.
1: Okay, here's who I'm going with first. Okay,
0: Lawrence Moton. Wow, bada bing, number one. You did
1: you pull that? Hold on. I'll tell you exactly what I did, and you can call it cheating if you want. Here's what I did. It's ridiculous. I, you said you said school no longer in the Big East. I thought of Syracuse, and then I Googled Syracuse all-time leading score, and it was Lawrence Mott. That's
0: Mo. a half cheat. Okay, no more research. What's the other guy? And if you didn't, take one or two guesses, then I'll give it up to
1: you. The other guy is going to be— And
0: it's not a UConn player, just to be clear.
1: Ah, that's what I was about yeah, to Yeah, I knew do.
0: you'd be going there, but it's not a UConn player.
1: Um, the other guy, I'm going to say— It's Mustafa Heron.
0: Mustafa Heron? He's currently (laughs) in the Big East and now no longer playing. Done for the season.
1: I know, but his name popped into my head, so I just wanted to say Mustafa Heron.
0: It is one Troy Bell at Boston College.
1: Oh, I know Troy Bell. That's a former Grizzlies draft pick. Yeah, well,
0: you didn't know that he's number two in Big East scoring, and Marcus Howard's going to pass him on Wednesday night, so there we go. But anyway, we have talked—
1: I know he's not number two in Grizzlies all-time scoring. He's
0: definitely not, by the way. This was a Marcus Howard question, and we've talked about Lawrence Moten and Troy Bell. Shouts to us.
1: Um— we do talk about Marcus Howard. And in fact, I did a three-minute, 30-second video that's on Facebook Watch proclaiming, like Norlander said, Marcus Howard is the National Player of the Year. And One of the things I explained is I didn't seriously consider him for it in the preseason because what history shows us is you've got to be on a top-25 team to win National Player of the Year. I don't care how good you are. If you're not on a top-25 team, you're not going to win it. And I didn't think Mar- Marquette would be a top-25 team. They lost two of their top-three scores to transfer, and – it happened at a time in the calendar where you can't find comparable replacements. So I thought Marquette would be fine. I thought Marcus Howard would be amazing. But not. Um, I didn't think the team would be good enough for him to to, to win that award. Well, they've won six of their past seven. Um, they're in the top 25. AP poll coaches, both top 25 and one, top 25 at Ken Bob. Marcus Howard's on a top 25 team. And if he's on a top 25 team, leading the country in scoring 27.4 points, he should be the national player of the year. He's making – 39.4% of the 10.3 three-pointers he attempts per game, which is just incredible to shoot that many threes, like hard, difficult threes, and make nearly 40% of them. And he takes, when he's on the court, 42% of Marquette shots, which ranks yeah. number one nationally. So, uh, listen, nobody, nobody's doing more, at least on the offensive end, for a nationally relevant college basketball team than Marcus Howard. If the season ended today... I would 100% make him my national player of the year, which means he's going to go 4 of 27 against Villanova on Wednesday night. I know how this stuff works. Uh,
0: That is a uh, very quality – yeah, no, uh, that's the game that I think I have the most intrigue on on a a solid – A solid Wednesday night. Kansas at West Virginia is right behind it. But uh, uh, five Big East teams are currently ranked in the AP Top 25. It's the first time since the league reformed to ten teams that we've had five in the AP Top 25. Last time was back in 2013. All five of those Big East teams are playing on Wednesday night, including Creighton at Seton Hall. It's actually a a fairly – uh, solid Wednesday night slate Rutgers at Ohio State, you know, all that good stuff. But Marquette at Villanova, uh, can Howard go off on the road against the Wildcats who need the win? Uh, keep an eye on that. Don't say we don't talk about Marcus Howard because we do.
1: And if you want to see that video that I did on set here in New York of our Facebook watch, you can find it on the Twitter feed. Question number two comes from somebody who identifies as SCAD24, and he says he's excited about the upcoming 30-for-30 30 30 on Pinnacle Bank Arena and wants to know if we can do some politicking behind closed doors to get a North Carolina-at-Nebraska CBI matchup in the postseason. And if we got it done, who would you pick? He says Kim Pom currently projects North Carolina as a one-point favorite oh, inside Pinnacle Bank Arena.
0: I need to know if you think that line is disrespectful so I can pick the opposite side first.
1: I do think that's disrespectful to Fred Hoiberg.
0: Okay, so I got Carolina by 15.
1: Okay. He's got Nebraska being competitive right now? They just they just played Maryland to a one possession game. And that was at Maryland. So you take that game, put it in Pinnacle Bank, what do you think that looks like? <laughs> I
0: think Maryland wins by twenty six.
1: Are you out of your mind? Freddie Hoyberg inside Pinnacle Bank? Are you have you lost have you lost your mind? Have you looked at the record?
0: I don't look at records. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's all you do. I think you spend 37 to 74 minutes daily looking at records. And right now, this year, we got Nebraska opening up its season, back-to-back home losses, home loss to North Dakota, home loss to Rutgers, home loss to Indiana, home loss to Penn State, home loss to Michigan. Next up, Wisconsin Saturday. Gonna be a home loss for Freddie Hoiberg. Nebraska, Carolina at Pinnacle Bank in the CBI is something that I don't even think the CBI would take this season. But I tell you what, I'd love to see it.
1: I would. I would take Nebraska. I'd. I'd, I'd take Nebraska in the point. You give me Nebraska inside Pinnacle Bank as an underdog against a team that never wins. <laughs> I'm taking. I'll, t- I'll take the Oscars. Question number three uh, comes from. I think it was somebody named Brian. Should I look it up just to make sure I get? No, just let's roll with it. It's Brian. Yeah, I think. Okay, we're gonna call if, him Brian. What if he's Brad? What, I don't care.
0: What Brady? Who cares? It's
1: Brian. Yeah. Could, he says, uh, "Rage against the machine and run the jewels." Are playing Madison Square Garden on eight ten and 8-11. This is, use um, uh, something you pointed out on Twitter. And then Brian, if his yeah. name is Brian, he jumps on Twitter and he asks, "Is this the ticket that settles the final four and one bet? Is the loser of the final four and one?" Going to have to buy Rage and RTJ tickets to Madison Square Garden. What do you think?
0: Uh, I like this, but how about this? So for me that works first of all i'm seeing one of those shows no matter what like uh, the on sale is on thursday and if Ticketmaster goes Ticketmaster, and that's a dreadful experience and i don't get it then um i'm willing to pay like 500 dollars to go see that show because i had a chance to see rage against machine two decades ago didn't happen have to make this happen now plus love run the jewels uh podcast nugget gp and i have actually seen run the jewels together um So I am going to be going to one of those shows no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. But I need to know, if you want this show to be the thing, that's fine. But have you looked at the dates, and what's the closest venue that Rage and Run the Jewels play respective to where you live? St. Louis. How close is that?
1: Four and a half hours, five hours. That's not good. I, well, that, that's the thing you 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 Northeasterners don't understand. Like everything's like uh, ninety minutes away from you guys. Like you could <laughs> yeah. be in, in the south. Everything's five hours away.
0: <laughs> that's not good. They're not. Uh, all right. Well, how about this? I'm willing. First of all, we have we have not settled. This is this is not the bet. The final four and one is not the concert bet. The bet was, and I know we have a couple of listeners who documented this, and I have it somewhere in my file. The ticket bet was in the preseason. We went. Over under on win totals. And whoever got closest overall has to buy the other the concert tickets. So that's what the bet is on. And I will say that if I win, yes, the Rage tickets are what uh, what you're going to get me. So, I,
1: yeah. I have seen Rage Against the Machine. Of course you have. 1997 at Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium opening up for U2. Wow. Okay. And a, ma- a like. Did so, you go for
0: U2 or did you go for Rage or do you even remember why you went?
1: I went because I I was a fan of both, um, but it's it was a weird place to see Rage because it's a football stadium. They're on U 2s stage, and they look they just look tiny on the stage. Like somehow Bono you know, somehow U two is able to fill up that stage, and it looks they just fill it up. And but you take Rage and put them on the exact same stage, and they just look they they just look tiny. And then there's. Uh, Zach de La Roca just you know it was a Rage show, but in front of fifty five thousand people who were there to see you too, so it was a weird place to see them, but uh, we enjoyed it. It was a good time
0: rage is uh is good stuff, man, like say what you will about zach de La Roca on the, and the and the lyrics from way back when there's actually a very funny tweet that was sent out some years ago that goes viral and it's I don't remember the wording of it exactly, but it's something along the lines of, like, Rage Against the Machine when you're 14, you listen to it for one reason, then Rage Against the M- Machine when you're 24, you don't think it's great at all, and then Rage Against the Machine in, like, your late 30s, you're like, no, this actually all makes a whole ton of sense. Love me some some Rage. Evil Empire is my favorite uh, album of theirs. Uh, but really, that's good, good, good stuff. I'm super pumped for that and and, uh, and for Run the Jewel. So, yeah, we can we can rest the, uh, the preseason over under bet on that. And if you... Can't get to that. Yeah, you got to find out what show you want that to be. Um, but we'll wait and see on who wins that in about three weeks or so. I don't even remember who picked what, but I'll I'll dig it out with about a week to go in the season.
1: Um. So looking ahead, I'll be back in studio tonight. CBS Sports Network got a doubleheader on tap: six thirty Eastern Xavier at number nineteen Butler, and then eight thirty Eastern Providence at St. John. So that's a Big East doubleheader on CBS Sports Network, and then I'll uh, get out of studio around two. And then wake up around 6 and fly home and hate myself.
0: <laughs> calm like, you'll De- be calm like a bomb, my man. Calm like a bomb.
1: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the I Own College Basketball Podcast. Do it over at Apple Podcasts. While you're there, leave a review, five stars. Leave a nice comment, and we will talk to you again on Friday. That's when we'll get ready for the weekend. Till then, take care.